Richard and our host Samuel and welcome to Over the Edge podcast, sponsored by The Edge Ministry. Tonight's discussion is to take a look at the purpose of a mission trip and growing closer to God and making God the king of your heart. I've always thought the purpose of a mission trip was to serve other people and to work with other churches that have similar views. I think a mission trip creates an atmosphere that radiates change through God's direction. We have with us tonight a special guest from Markham Baptist Church, Kevin Dornan, who has recently completed a mission trip to Nepal and has come to share his experience with us. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. So I know you've been on a number of mission trips and we would love to hear some stories. Sure, I mean, I could even maybe give you sort of why I go on mission trips. Um, you know, I, I, I've grown up in the church and uh, as a child, I never really understood mission trips. I, I heard about them, I never met a missionary, I, I didn't really get it. Just seen something that happened far, far away. But when I started to attend this church more than 25 years ago, um, the first thing that had an impact on me was they brought, brought in missionaries to talk about what they were doing. And when I realized the work that they were doing and how they were uh, basically giving their whole lives to, to this ministry, I, st I started to get it. Mm -hmm. So I had an opportunity about um, 10 years ago to go on a mission trip to Nepal. And uh, I, I, I went to that, on that mission trip having no idea what I was going to encounter. It just seemed like uh, a good idea. The organization that I went through was called Partners International. And I, I like the way they do things. That they, instead of going in and telling people this is how you do a mission or how you do what, whatever ministry you're doing, they find a local Christian organization that is doing good work in, in, a, in an area such as a third world country that needs it. And then they go in to see how they can help that organization. Mm -hmm. so, so that particular trip, we went to Nepal and uh, the organization there is called Good Friends of Nepal. And uh, as soon as you meet the people involved in, in this mission, you're just so impacted. You're going there to see what you can do to help them, and you almost feel guilty because they're they're just feeding you so much with, with the way they are. And the fellow that has run that ministry since uh, since 2005, um, his first name is Bim. Um, he just has such a heart for God; it, it, it's just unbelievable. And when you see this, and you see the impact that they have on people and the way they care for people, um, it just your your own heart grows. Mm -hmm. So, so just, just seeing that was one thing. And, th and then coming back and sort of seeing how, how we can help them. There's one example. And, and the two main areas that we can help them from afar is through prayer mm -hmm. and, and through finances. Um, so that, that was certainly my first, uh, first impact All right. of going to a mission trip. How did it, how did it draw you closer to God and, and in what way? Um, First of all, it was my first experience in a third world country, so so that that was a little bit shocking. But but when you see, when you see an area where I mean, you read a, about um, orphans and widows in the Bible, and you, you 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 read that and you know you sort of draw your conclusions. But when you go to a place like Nepal, which has no social network, mm -hmm. um, and and because of the um, the culture there, as an example. Um, if, if, uh, if the man of the family dies, um, the, the wife, the widow, is often thrown out on the street. Mm. She's on her own, there's no support whatsoever. And um, not that many years ago, 
it, it's it's a Hindu culture. So when they would be burning the body of the husband on on the um, well, burning the body, they would sometimes put the the live widow on that on that bonfire. I mean, it, it's shocking to hear things like this, mm. and uh, there's just no support. And this good friends of Nepal. I mean, they're I forget the number of widows that they're providing at like a monthly stipend, so they have have some some money to to uh, to to eat. Right. Yeah. And and orphans, um, it's the same thing. They just when you, I'll never forget driving on the road and, and seeing these piles of garbage. Which again, they don't have have weekly uh, garbage pickup the way we do here in mm-hmm. Canada. And seeing a three or four year old child in rags picking through the garbage trying to find something to eat. I mean, it just the the, the shock value is, is is unbelievable. And to think that there isn't other organizations trying to help these kids out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, did you did you feel your your uh, purpose of going on a mission trip was um, fulfilling? Well, I mean, I mean, it wasn't. And and having said that, maybe what I thought was going to happen and what happened were two different things. But but mm-hmm. it's it's something that I encourage anyone to to do is go on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also every mission trip is different. And there's the mission trip you plan. There's there's the one that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I mean, as I was in South America, and we actually were. It was a building project. We were working on building a, uh, a house so that when, when missionaries could come out, out of the field and, and in South America, they would be up the Amazon River, you know, a long mm-hmm. way away. They would come back for a bit of a respite. So they, built, they actually built a, a house for them. Right. So they had a place to stay when they were resting up to, to head back out. But, but the big thing is, is materials for, for them. I mean, they generally can come up with the manpower to build a house. It's the same in Nepal. The manpower is there, but things such as corrugated tin to put a roof on, they can't afford it. So, so that certainly, um, again, this is something I've learned being in several places. This is what they need. This is the sort of support they need. Right. Um, and, and sometimes it's it's not like don't get me wrong. You feel good when you're actually building. We had the hammer and nails, and we're putting flooring in, and 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 that. But that's the sort of thing they can probably come up with themselves. But they need the materials, right? And when you were when you were in your recent trip to Nepal, yeah. how, how many how many days did you stay? And talk about your conditions over there. How did you? S- well, I mean, to be honest with you, the, the conditions were much better than the first time I was there. The first time we were kind of traveling around, um, and and at times you would be sleeping on on a mud floor in a, in a hut of a remote village. Uh, this particular trip, we pretty much were staying in hotels. Now mm-hmm. they they aren't hotels like like we have here in Canada mm-hmm. as far as the the quality of them, but certainly there were no complaints. Um, what you run into in Nepal are the conditions for, for driving. I mean, you might uh, drive for five or six hours and that would get you maybe 70 or 80 kilometers to your destination. Mm-hmm. The, the roads are terrible. Um, uh, I'll never complain about a pothole again because sometimes, some, <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> so sometimes the potholes in Nepal you can lose your car. I mean, it's and I'm talking two or three feet deep. I, I'm not kidding you. Like it, it's unbelievable. We uh, on this particular, the most recent trip, one of the fellows was prone to motion sickness, and, and he oh knew my. he knew this could be a problem, and and it was a problem. I mean, he, we had a couple of days where he, he was in pretty rough shape. Yeah, but. Uh, what did you see God do for you as a mission family? Uh, I, I think he, he opened my heart. Um, when I see, as an example, good friends in Nepal, that they have a couple of orphanages, and uh, 
Christian organizations tend not to be treated very well in Nepal. So, so the, the, the building that they had for their orphanage, and they might have 10 or 15 children, mm-hmm. kept raising the rent, raising the rent. So um, the, the response that they had is heartwarming. They had a house that, that uh, Bim was living in, and they had offices for good friends of Nepal. So they just shifted things around and brought the, brought the orphans into their house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you see the relationship between the people at Good Friends of Nepal and the children, you realize what a wonderful situation it is. I mean, these kids, are they have an opportunity to get an education, to be fed, to be looked after. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know because I couldn't really have that conversation with the children, but I wonder if they realize that, you know, without this, they could just be on the streets and have mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, so, so when you see that sort of, and, and it's all God's doing. I mean, God works through these people that, uh, when you see this, it's just uh, heartwarming. Is the only way I can describe it. Right. I know. I know you've been on uh, quite a few missionary trips, but um, what did you learn on this trip to incorporate incorporate into your life and ministry upon your return? Well, one thing for sure, having been to Nepal before, although it was ten years ago. Um, I think I learned a lot more about about their conditions and what they were going through because you have a bit of a basis having been there before you knew a little bit about a little bit more about the culture mm-hmm. I'm no expert on uh, on Nepali culture but mm-hmm. having been there before I mean a lot of things I picked up that maybe I could have picked up before but I, I just I was so overwhelmed by what I was seeing that, that I really couldn't figure it out but and a lot of it is is cultural so it's mm-hmm. um, and that's why the model of going somewhere in a third world country and saying, here, this is how you run your mission. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that be- because you have to know, have to know the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I know that CBM had, had a, a missionary in Brazil, I believe for 25 years. She did wonderful work, but that was a 25 year commitment. So mm-hmm. she, the first few years, I'm sure we're learning the culture mm-hmm. and learning what works there. How long did it take you to acclimatize? Like the first time, the, your first mission trip, you go to this third world country. How long did it take you to, like, settle in and say, okay, let me let's get to let's get to work? Yeah, it. Uh, well, the, the first one, I, I remember we, we landed late at night, and then we we got in a couple of SUVs and we're traveling overnight, and we found a a, a place to place to stay in the middle of the night. I mean. It was probably four or five days before I realized sort of where I was and what I was doing. I mean, it, it, it's overwhelming. Mm. Uh, so, and as I say, that the distances to travel a long distance there, like a journey that would take us an hour, could take them five or six hours. Mm. So, so it's that whole thing is it's just so different. I mean, it, it it takes quite a while to sort of figure out what's what's going on. Right. Yeah. And every time you return to these mission trips, what is your mindset? Do you go in? I would imagine going on a first mission trip, you would go in like almost scared or like you do not know what, like what is your mindset when you go to these? Certainly the first, the first one, I, I had no idea what, and you're even, you know, even crazy things like, what do you pack? I mean, right. it, it's, you know, they, they, they give you help, they give you sort of a list, but you really don't know. The second mission trip I went on in, uh, in um, uh, Peru and Bolivia, I was there for two weeks. Well, I took a backpack. I knew what I would need. Mm-hmm. I had everything I needed. I, I used everything I took. I mean, it's just so much easier. Um, just just having that that knowledge, having been there before. And you're right. The first mission trip, I had no idea what to expect. Right. I, I, you know, having said that, I believe in the power of prayer, and I've never felt it like I have being on mission trips. 
I right. mean, you're in conditions that, that uh, quite frankly, by Canadian standards, are pretty scary. Mm -hmm. But there, you just feel the power of prayer. I, I was in Bolivia on, on the, my previous mission trip, and uh, middle of the night, my, my stomach was in a great deal of pain, so you just assume that you've eaten something you shouldn't <laughs> have eaten, <laughs> and, uh, and, and hope, hope it'll work it out. Well, it turned out that I had a kidney stone. And I've never had a kidney stone before, and I had no idea what it was. Um, now, having said that, through the power of prayer, I mean, it hit me around midnight one night. By the by, early morning, I was in a clinic, and they diagnosed, and they said, yeah, it might be just intestinal something, but we think you should get checked for a kidney stone. And I said, well, how do I do that? So next thing, I've got an appointment later on that day to get, to get a CAT scan, and they found a kidney stone. And, and I said to the, to the doctor through it, I, I had a friend that was from Ecuador, so he was translating. And I said, well, what do we do? And he, he proposed surgery. And, and I said, well, what if I just hop on a plane and head back to Canada? And his, his response through the, through, the, through the interpreter was, well, you might not die on the flight, but there, there are times you might wish you were dead on the flight. And I said, okay, let's do the surgery. But, uh, I mean, really, so went through. I, I was well cared for. Um, I, I didn't have a care in the world. I, I thought just before I headed into surgery, I better call my son and let him know what was going on. Right. And I phoned him, and he picked up the phone. I mean, I mean, what are the odds when you're really trying to get a hold of somebody <laughs> that, that you can get a hold of them? And, and I told him, I, I told him, you know, there's nothing to worry about, but I am. And then I know that he got the prayer chain going here at the church. Right. And um, it's crazy to see the number of laps I had through that surgery. It's, uh, I mean, I, I was, uh, I, uh, one of my standard lines, I got, I got in touch with my feminine side. They gave me an epidural and I put my feet up in the stirrups. So, <laughs> but, so, so I, I, was, I was awake the whole time and everything went well. Um, I, uh, just before I went in, I, I, I learned the word for pain in Spanish, just in case that was going to be useful. Um, and, and then in recovery, um, the nurse would, would check my blood pressure and my she would take my temperature and she would ask me, I think, how I was and I, and I felt fine. So I, in Spanish, I would tell her I felt fine. She would laugh, I would laugh, and we'd repeat that a half an hour later. Yeah. But everything went fine. Um, matter of fact, I, I came back after that mission trip. So I was just out of action for a few days. Mm -hmm. I came back from that mission trip and I, I was at a client, I do ID consulting. And she said, really? She said, I have a friend with a kidney stone. It's been two weeks now, and they still haven't resolved the problem. I said, well, I know a great place in Bolivia that, uh, <laughs> that I highly recommend. <laughs> but but I, I can, like, I, I'm honestly, I'm not lying. I'm not bragging. I had no concern. Um, I just knew that prayer was there. And uh, so, so... The sad thing is, why don't I feel that feel that same calmness in all the all of my life? But I, I usually I seem to really feel it in mission trips. So. Right. Is is every Christian a missionary? Uh, I would say yes, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, matter of fact, two two of the fellows that were on this trip, there were four of us on the, on this most recent trip, and uh, they, they've done a lot of mission work. And I was sort of picking their brains about about how their church was doing it. But it's kind of interesting because. Um, you know, there's many different aspects of the trip. There are those who actually go into the field. There are those who help with finances. Mm. There are those who help as prayer partners. 
And, and they raised a good point that, you know, you tend to, the one you tend to bring up at the front of the church is the person that went off to that far destination and came back. And what they, they are very intentional about is basically doing the same thing with the prayer partners, the people that provide finances, and the people that go into the field, mm-hmm. because all three of those aspects are crucial. And, and they, I, I agree with them that they're all equal. Mm. There's no better or worse or whatever. So it, and that that's something any Christian can do any three of those aspects of missions. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, mission trips uh, create dependency? Well, uh, I think it's interesting that you say that because uh, the organization that we went to visit, I mean, they're, they're, they are not flush, I, I, I can tell you it. What they squeeze out of a dollar is incredible, but there there was an organization that came in to to Kathmandu, the the uh, capital of Nepal. They basically brought in tons of money, put up a big building, brought in all the staffing, and uh, but now I don't I don't have any comments about what their particular ministry is accomplishing. I, mm-hmm. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but I think there's a case where. It doesn't have the same impact as, as our impact on Good Friends of Nepal, where we try to hear what they're doing. I mean, by the way, this most recent mission trip, the highlight for me was arriving in Kathmandu, seeing Bim, and hugging each other. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I he had such an influence on me, mm-hmm. and I missed him. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he saw me, he said, "Welcome, Brother Kevin." I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was it was it was incredible. Mm-hmm. It really was. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'd actually like to re- revisit one of the questions. When you come back, I I almost sense there there's a very strong sense of humility. Like assessing both situations. How do you how do you transfer this type of learning experience to other Christians? Like how would you how would you tell them like somebody who has never been on a mission trip? Yeah, well, it's gonna, I've done a lot of thinking about this because I, I came back at the at the start of December. And I'm going to be doing a presentation in the church in a couple of weeks, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. And I I, I pray every day that that God will help me impart the information about that particular mission field so that that people will feel compelled to support them in the two things I mentioned, in finances and in prayer. Mm -hmm. Because there's this organization that, that is scrambling for every dollar, and whatever you give them, they will do good good things with it. Mm-hmm. And they are praying hard for our church. So they, I mean, they, they do it all. As far as I'm concerned, that, that yes, they have, they know they have, they have a great needs there, but they are also praying for us, and they they so much appreciate whatever support we give them. So there's an example of an organization that I don't think they become dependent upon upon this. Mm-hmm. Yes, <clears throat> we're crucial to what they do, but they appreciate. It. Mm-hmm. They appreciate it. I think I had one one friend who has gone on a mission trip and very much exactly the same experience as what you said is he was there for about a month. Okay. Very bad situations, but he was teaching English. Right. And he he came back telling me that he learned more than he thought then. Do you find that's the same situation where when you go, yeah. you 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 help them, but they help you more than do you come back yeah. more? Do you find that? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, there's a part of me feels guilty. Yeah. Because my my aim was to see how I could help them, mm-hmm. and I feel they helped me more than I could ever help them. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's the example that they set. Right. I mean, their their entire lives, from the moment they wake up in the morning until they go to sleep at night, 
is how they can help the people, <coughs> excuse me, in their mission field. Mm. Yeah, but because <coughs> the example that that they that you see being put in place, and you know you know it's for real. Mm -hmm. You know that this isn't, you know, putting on a special uh, <coughs> special example for us because we're mm -hmm. there to help them. Mm -hmm. You just know how real they are. The people are so. Uh, how do you describe it? Well, they're so real that there's no, they're not putting on airs. This is this is who they are. This is what they do. Mm -hmm. And and you can see, you also see the joy in in their eyes. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, what they are doing is so wonderful. Um, as I say, it, the conditions are difficult when you're when you're driving along during the day. You see people <coughs> scrambling to to make some money. Mm. I mean, I don't know how many little stalls you can see with whether it's oranges or bananas or whatever. I, I don't know how they can all make a living. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yet uh, they do they do what they have to right mm -hmm. because it is very difficult so. right but, but but you're right they they do they do feed us more than we ever feed them and which that, that's that's the guilt part right mm -hmm. and do you do you still plan to continue mission trips I mean I mean I, I don't have one in mind at the moment but yeah. but if something came along that I felt that I, I could help then that I would certainly consider it right um, I was telling Richard earlier that the, you know that this particular trip, the 25 hours in the air each way to get to Nepal and back is is a bit taxing. <clears throat> and as I get closer to 70, I'm not sure how long I can do this. <laughs> but if I'm able to stay healthy and whatever, then it's something that I would definitely consider again. Right. Yeah. Could you actually touch upon the bonds you actually develop over time on these mission trips? Because I think that is something like when you're when you're in arms with people, when you're in the trenches with people, you suddenly you develop this type of bond which is very strong. I would say, like, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like this particular trip, there were four of us that were on the trip. Um, I only knew one of the four. Mm -hmm. um, the the other two fellows I, I met at the airport, um, and basically there were never any issues, mm -hmm. uh, never any problems. Um, we were there for a reason. Mm -hmm. so you become a family. Yeah, you become a family. It's and, it, and it's funny when you have downtime. It's just just you talking, like, like you're picking each other's brains about how to be involved in missions and what their experiences are and that sort of thing as well. Because uh, we can all learn. There's no question about it. Right. But but you be, you become very close. What would you say to somebody who's who has always thought about going to missions, but it's just because I I want to go on mission trips, but there's just that. <laughs> um, that I need to get over is I think there's that fear factor which is you go to this place and you do not know what you're expecting you, again you can get a kidney stone out of nowhere <laughs> like, yeah. well, I mean I think a little bit depends on the person if you're the sort of person <clears throat> that wants your whole day planned every day right. I think a mission trip would be tough for you to, to go on mm -hmm. because things change I mean it's now I must admit, this trip, most of the uh, of the plans, whether it was whether it was by plane or by by car or whatever, worked out fairly well. In the past, we had all sorts of situations where things kept happening and right. and pl plans were constantly changing. But it's um, to me, you, you definitely have to go with the mindset that you know whatever happens happens. Yeah, you, know, you, you you and I can say this. 
I'm not say, I wouldn't have said this probably going into my very first mission trip because you really don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But having been on, on, I've really just only been on three now, but having been on those three, you realize it will all work out. I mean, it's, right. uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, you will learn so much, it's unbelievable. Right. When we, as an example, we landed this time, and the first day, because the other three had never been to Nepal, so they were, mm-hmm. they were like me 10 years ago, walking in cold. So the first day, uh, Bim basically took us around to various cultural sites and tried to explain the local culture, which is crucial. I mean, you, you have to, you have to pick that up, um, because otherwise you'll spend your whole time wondering what's going on. I mean, you, you really right. you really have to learn. And again, as I say, I, I'm no expert on their culture, but I know I know a lot more now than I ever did before my first trip. Can you speak any Nepalese? Uh, well, you always hear Namaste. Yes. And, and namaskar. If you say namaskar, people think you're a, you're a, you can speak Nepali, and they'll mm. they'll start speaking. So you have to be very careful what you say. And an interesting thing in Nepal, uh, if you say uh, Jamashe, um, that's basically what Christians say there. Mm. So if you say that and somebody says it back to you, chances are they're a Christian. Mm. So oh, so it's almost a little bit of a code you might say that uh, that they sometimes use. But uh, the answer to your question, no, I do not speak any <laughs> Nepal. <laughs> did you did you ever sense hesitance in the, the like if you're if you're not that well accustomed to their culture? Did you I don't know. Let's say they they're hesitant to even receive help from people that are outside of their own circle. Uh, not really. It's almost the other way around. Like they are so thankful that that a, that a Christian from halfway around the world would come to visit with them. Right. They, they they can't believe that we've done that for starters, mm-hmm. and and they know that we're just there to to uh, worship with them. We're we're there to um, share experiences about the Lord with them. Mm-hmm. So so it's uh, they they are very very friendly. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of um, when we were there the first time. We we walked. Uh, a piece into a remote village and as an example they had never seen a, a white man before mm-hmm. so we were kind of a novelty to them they had just never seen seen this before so touching the skin was kind of kind of neat but uh, with the areas that we were in most recently you know that they had uh, you know they're close enough to Kathmandu that, that they were well familiar with us so they and they were just so friendly right I mean that they uh, they couldn't do enough for it, whether it was providing us food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and here we are trying to be cautious as to what we eat. But right. uh, but there are times um, when we were on the first trip, we were coming back from a remote village, and uh, we we're walking along, and all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, there's a there's a fellow with a little house, and uh, his electricity was formed. He had a small solar panel that that would light up one light bulb, and that was the electricity. And he came out with, they referred to it as uh, yogurt, but we would think it was, it was more like a cottage cheese for me. Well, there were um, five of us on that trip, and the other four were able to not take a chance by eating that. But this particular fellow we had seen in a worship in a small church recently, I, I couldn't help myself, so I, I did take it. And actually, it was very tasty. Mm. But uh, as I said, the other people in my group thought that I was taking a huge risk. Now, what I didn't know until later was that they were keeping their eye on me because when you get sick from eating the wrong thing in these countries, it tends to happen within the first one to two hours. 
So they were expecting it any moment. And we were actually hiking a long ways through, through some rough terrain, so they thought, there's no way that I'm going to make it. But anyway, the good news is that the good Lord protected me, and, uh, and I was not sick. But there's an example. They just, they want to help us, mm. and yet we're there to help them. It, it's, just, it's this funny situation. It's right. sort of a symbiotic relationship. It, it is. I mean, I mean, you're all on the same wavelength. I, I will say that for sure. Yeah. Right. Was there, out of these three, out of these three mission trips, what would you say was, was there any one specific highlight, one specific story that you would iterate to somebody? Yeah, I, I don't think there was one. There was just a lot of moments. Yeah. A lot of moments where even if you don't speak the language, you, you sort of have that moment where you're communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. um, there was a fellow in South America, and, and we, <clears throat> we, we flew into a remote area on the Amazon, and um, that was interesting because the, the, the landing strip was basically what we would call a field. And, uh, but there was just one fellow, and I don't know why, somehow we were, we were simpatico. We just we seem to always seem to react to the same things that were happening, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's strange to have good feelings about somebody when you really don't know them. But you know that this fellow was a missionary, and um, so there was just a lot of moments like that where you're mm -hmm. looking at people and they're and you almost see it in their eyes mm -hmm. as to what's going on. And it's, as an example, you take a country like Nepal, which is you know maybe two percent. Um, Christian, probably being generous, so they're really in very much a minority, and yet you just see the you see God shining through them, right. and, and when they worship, they worship with abandon. I mean, it's uh, I feel guilty that I don't worship like that all the time because they mm -hmm. really are they really are feeling it, mm -hmm. and uh, so I think, and maybe because they have they're in such difficult conditions, they appreciate it more. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a problem we have in the Western world. We we're so concerned about material things, about you know the car we drive, the the 65-inch big-screen TV we have, that all this. We forget about the basics in life, and they're struggling to get the basics. Right. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is everything's high-tech for us now, right? I mean, we. I mean, if I leave home and realize I haven't got my phone with me, I'm going to turn around and get that phone. Right. And yet, I remember the first time in Nepal, we were in this really remote area. And we saw, and of course, rice is the big crop that, that people grow rice to to, mm. to eat. And but you you know you have to grind the rice if you're going to make flour out of it and that sort of thing. And there was a fellow that he, I guess he got probably probably water coming down from a little mountain or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he built built a sort of a trough in stone like a kilometer long to a little mill, and he had the water running the mill. Mm. And people would bring their bring their rice to him, and he would grind. And we look at that, you know, you'd, here you just, you know, right. phone somewhere and buy a little mill and you mm -hmm. set it up with electricity. He did this. So, so interesting. Like people, yeah. the innovation. Like. Oh, exactly. It's fat. And then and then you would see him, we saw him several times on, on that uh, over a few days. And you'd see him out, like um, rocks would fall out and would start to leak. So he'd be there repairing that, whatever, keeping it going. Hmm. But it's... Uh, it's fascinating to see how they they do what they have to do, but right. but this was one fellow that was able to do that. Most people weren't, mm -hmm. so he provided that, and the people provided the rice. I, I have no idea how they paid him. They probably paid him in rice. They probably he, maybe mm -hmm. he could keep part of what uh, what he would grind for them. He had the ingenuity, and the he had the ingenuity, yeah. and I mean he and he worked hard. I mean these are you see, we were in an area that um, we're walking along. 
in, a, in Riverbed that was very dry. But what happens when that happens, then people bring out little streams and they're basically making making gravel. They, like they're using the, uh, the stream to, to uh, come up with certain sizes and they're shoveling like crazy to, to get it. And hard work doesn't put it mildly, what they're going through. Wow. Right. But, uh, but they don't see it as hard work. Or do they? No, no. They they see it as what they're doing. They, right. it, it, it's like um, one of the big things in Nepal being, a, you know, formerly a, 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 a the last Nepal kingdom or the last Hindu kingdom, I should say, in the world. Um, the caste system is just throughout their entire their entire culture. So if you happen to be born with a name that puts you in the the lower the lower caste, the untouchables, you know, there's only so much you can do. And uh, when I was talking to this young fellow who works with good friends in Nepal, explained that we don't have a caste system in Canada, he couldn't wrap his head around that because it's all he's ever known mm. his whole life. That's the way it is. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's um, very different. And, and that's why I say you don't. We could sit around the table. And think, these are what these are the wonderful things that we're going to go into Nepal. And we're going to help them out with this. Right. But whether it would work or not, chances are it wouldn't. I would would be my guess. Because we're using our Canadian mindset, right? And it's you're, you've got to go into a culture that it's so different from what we from what we know. But it's so it's so interesting how they create systems that there is so in a, like every time I, I see a film based on like oh it's based, this is based on a third world country. Yeah, it almost never matches what they do in real life. Like the the. The, uh, I think what you're what you were talking about is the amount of innovation and how people they create out of desperate when you're in the desperate situation you will find a way to do something yeah. and they've just been living in that 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 suddenly becomes their way of life well and a, a friend of mine that was on the first my first trip to Nepal with um, in, in talking while we were there we thought you know if for some reason we got stranded in Nepal we would go out to a remote village hmm where you could maybe you have far better chance of growing enough food for for survival when you're in a big city like Kathmandu it's a filthy city there's there's really not much there for anybody i don't know how you survive hmm. when you have nothing but we could sort of see that in the remote village and a little more agriculture and whatever um, there's a better chance that you might you might survive mm -hmm. but uh, but it, it's it's not it's like canada you know, a couple of hundred years ago, you know, like they, it was the innovation that they did that they, they couldn't just go out and buy it, so they somehow made it. Um, and pioneers. The pioneers, but but we're so far away from that now in our mm -hmm. in our Western society that uh, it's hard to imagine. Mm. I mean, when my when I was first working, I was working as a CA student. I mean, I had friends that I worked with that I'm not sure they could screw in a light bulb and take it out. That just wasn't part of their skill set. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I don't know. When you, when you go there, do you notice how much... I don't, I don't know how to frame this question. How much we're lacking? Not lacking. I think it's kind of the priorities that we have in our lives compared to what somebody's struggling to survive. Yeah as in their life that there's just no comparison yeah because it was only it was only until i came to canada and i still don't have any data on my phone that i realized i actually don't need data on my phone like well well it's funny you said that because when i was in nepal i mean i took my phone which was yeah. more camera than anything else and i must admit 
on previous mission trips, I've gone old school and not taken my phone. Mm. But this time, I really it was the pictures I wanted to take. But I, I didn't get a plan when I was in Nepal. Yeah. Although I got a text from Bell when I landed on the flight saying that <laughs> here, you, 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 you'll automatically get this plan for so many dollars a day. And I thought, no, I won't. But, but I basically I used Wi-Fi when I needed it. Mm. Interesting enough, like GPS follows you around because that's always, always active. Mm. Now the interesting thing is on the flight back, we had a 10 hour uh, layover in Guangzhou, China. To the, and it was long enough to the point where we had to get a visa to go to a hotel to, uh, to sleep for a few hours. We came back in, but when I got home, um, Google sent me my, my latest uh, where I've been in the world. And apparently I wasn't in China because it just showed an arrow over it. I left Nepal <laughs> and I ended up in Vancouver. So, uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, I find it like, like you're, you're really enjoying doing this, which is, which is good. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives it the life that it has, this podcast, yeah. because you're enjoying it. It's not just all, I've got to go in and do a, a podcast right. and I've got to edit it and whatever. You'll probably have more laughs editing it than you've had during yeah. the uh, <laughs> podcast itself. <laughs> well, the, the great thing is what other people will get out of it too. Right? Yeah. The, the listeners. Because well, yeah, but, yeah. this is some great insight. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they, the people that haven't gone on a mission trip, I mean, this is sort of firsthand. Well, it's also helpful with questions, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. because sometimes if you you just don't think that that would be interesting to somebody mm -hmm. until they maybe ask the question about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it's, it's as I was saying, I mean, the like reading the Bible, for me to just sit down, sit down and read the Bible by itself, I have to sort of sit down with, with friends and discuss it and, mm -hmm. and you discover that you're not the only person that had that crazy thought about something you just read in the Bible. Right. It's, it's nice to get that feedback and to talk about it. So, so, so the podcast offers that opportunity for a lot of people. Right. For your three mission trips, what was the um, duration between one and the, one and the other? Well, it's basically over over the last uh, ten years. I've been on three, so that's uh, and, and and the one to South America was because an, uh, yet another trip to Nepal had fallen through mm -hmm. because of the government there, mm -hmm. and there was this other trip that was going on, and they said, "Well, would you be interested?" And I said, "Sure." Yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you ask me about missions, I can really talk about the three that I've been on because yeah. you know, I've had mm -hmm. that experience. But, but it's, um, I mean, even this one, I had my backpack like. It's great to have been on one <clears throat> because you have an idea of what you need. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question before, Samuel, about mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you're thinking about a mission trip, just talk to lots of people that have been on different ones mm -hmm. and something might strike a chord that maybe that's something that, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I so it's a family member actually that, that you know, when, when I went on the first trip, she said, yeah, I'd really like to do that, as long as they have great washrooms where, <laughs> where uh, and uh, in, in the first one, we, we were in this uh, remote village in Nepal, and this one washroom, like, you know, we, we could handle it, the one those that were there, but it was about, I think about 2% of Canadians could go in that washroom and use it. It, <laughs> it, 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 it it's brutal to put it mildly, but. Uh, the trough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Could you actually do one thing for me? Try as as <coughs> hard as you can paint one picture of one day. One day. What time you woke up from the time you woke up till the time you slept. Try to paint it as much detail as possible. Oh, let's see. 
I mean, we were usually up at six or seven in the morning, which is, if people know me, that's not my normal time to be uh, roaming around. But uh, so we would get up. We we uh, our friend Bim uh, picked us up in in, in an SUV. Um, we were driving out to a remote area in uh, Gorku. It's an area sort of um, northwest of Kathmandu. Uh, we set out in the uh, in this vehicle, and and the vehicle is. Um, it's maybe 15 years old, and you assume it's it's traveled about two million kilometers, and because it, it's it's rough, and but the roads are so bad that it had only traveled about 70,000 kilometers, but mm. but they're all hard kilometers. So we're driving along, and all of a sudden there was a bang, and uh, the the driver stopped the the vehicle, and we thought, uh oh, we've lost the drive shaft. So we you know, traffic going all over the place, and we, we, we push it over to the side. And uh, so that they call a guy, and he shows up on, on, a, uh, on a small motorcycle with all of his tools. Well, his tools were just a small bag, a small, uh, a small cloth bag with the tools. But, but, but they, they'd hit, they were concerned about the um, universal joint from a past experience, so they told him to bring a universal joint with him. Well, sh sure enough, the universal joint had let go, so he's he's under there, under there fixing it. Whatever we're standing around chatting, and uh, and uh, before you know it, he got it fixed up. And we thought, well, a couple of days earlier, the the back bumper had fallen off, and uh, I tied it back up with some rope. My being a Boy Scout is a good thing; you learn lots of things. <laughs> so we thought maybe we should get that repaired a little a little better than we than we we had done. So we. Drove to another, and so the repair for the universal joint, I think that maybe cost about forty-five dollars Canadian dollars to get that fixed, mm -hmm. which is you know I can't even imagine what that would have cost here. But you go to this other place, and now they've got four or five guys working on bending the bumper back up in place and uh, getting the welder out and, and getting. I think that was seventy dollars that when to get that fixed up, but it was like five guys for a couple of hours. And then we headed out, and uh, as I say, the, the roads are great. One minute you're driving and roads are fairly good, and the next minute you're, you're ride, driving on dirt, it seems. And we're driving and driving and driving, and finally, because of the, of the delay with getting the car repaired, the, the remote uh, um, little church that we were going to see, it was getting late in the day. Mm. And we found out later that some of the people that had been there waiting for us, they had left because they didn't know where, where or if we were ever going to show up. So we finally, you know, we're in, to me we're in the middle of nowhere, but, but our driver, who's a, just a young fellow, he, he, he had two jobs. He drove this SUV and he was the worship leader at their local church. So that, 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 that was his two jobs. So, so, so we found this place, we, we walked down this, this, this dirt trail and then we, we find there's like a, it's like a walking bridge that goes over this river and it's, it's quite a, remarkable feat that I couldn't believe they would actually have this walking bridge. I think at one time it might have been for cars, but it would have been for skinny cars. Mm. We walk across that, we, we walk through the fields, and there's this little little church. I mean, a church in Nepal basically is a rectangular building that they can meet in. And um, Bim's um, uncle actually lived, who was actually how he came to Christ, lived in this area. And, wouldn't, he didn't even know if his uncle was home, and, and we see his uncle there. We go up to the church. We, we meet several people that are in that church. Um, by this point, it's uh, it, well, it's 
it was getting dark as we were walking to this church and it was pitch black by the time we were leaving so we we got that's where the flashlight on your phones comes mm-hmm. in handy as you're walking along so you don't kill yourself mm-hmm. back across this little bridge and then, then we went out and, and we found a we found a, uh, a hotel the hotel gorku where we uh, sat down and had a meal together and uh, at this point we we're really getting into the nepali uh, cuisine so we sort of knew what to order now and whatever mm-hmm. And we shared that meal together, and then it was time for bed. But you know, you know, I, I glossed over that. I shouldn't have the the time with the people in the church was very special time. Mm-hmm. And uh, they told us about what they were going through and what they were doing, and and uh, they told us stories of individuals that that had been involved in setting up that church. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there was a fellow who actually died within the last six months. He was sort of he had the vision to get all of this going, and he kind of appointed someone to be the pastor of that church who did not plan to be the pastor of that mm. church. Mm. And he appointed this person, and this person has done wonderful things, and it's because he was appointed by this right. by this man that uh, wow. had such wonderful faith. Mm-hmm. So there's a day in the life of uh, a mission <laughs> trip. <laughs> that hours where you're driving, what do you do? Like, what do you do when, when you're driving? <laughs> that was, well, do you read a book? It, it's really funny because we had, like, <clears throat> it's an SUV, which is what we would consider a small SUV. Yeah. <clears throat> there are six of us. And uh, so because I tend to have a strong stomach, I was often back in the luggage com- uh, compartment at the back. Mm. And because I could just sit there and read a book or, or whatever, and, and a lot of the people, they had to focus outside or they were going to be ill. Yeah. So, so yeah. they they said, are you sure you can stay back no there? Problem. I said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just... Reading. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, and as I say, I mean, here, we would have been there in an hour here, yeah. and, our, and our car wouldn't have broken down twice on, on the way. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's just different. That's why I say you just have to be completely flexible. Mm-hmm. And you have to. Open-minded and yeah, patient. You, you, you have to focus on why you're there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not like, you know, when you're here, but you're working life. Yeah. You have your agenda, you know what you're going to be doing, and, and that's what you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I guess it, it, in a strange way, it does help you focus on God. Mm-hmm. Because that's why you're there. Mm-hmm. Everyone you see, God is a, is a big factor in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I often think, too, I mean, you know, I, I was born in Canada, I've grown up in Canada, I've attended church my whole life. It's pretty easy. You don't, I mean, you just, you don't worry about being beaten up. I mean, <clears throat> the stories I could tell you in Nepal where um, you have a Christian come into your home and the villagers come in and, and beat the crap out of the entire family. Mm. And at times they may have the help of the local police. No. I, I mean, it's, the other thing is the, um, the main way people come to Christ there is through healing and the healing is often casting out spirits casting out demons and and the the first time I was there I, I just couldn't understand why this was so common there and not here and I thought it was you know that the cynical Western uh, views that we have just refused to believe it or, or or whatever but when we were there this time Bim had insight into it and he said it's a uh, it's a Hindu country where they worship 
worship idols, worship demons. And he said, he thinks because so much of that is going on, demons get into people you know, mm -hmm. in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, quite a common thing was they would ask the Hindu priest to cast out the demon. He'd be unsuccessful. They'd ask the Buddhist priest to cast the demon. He'd be unsuccessful. <clears throat> As a last resort, they would go to a Christian. Although sometimes we heard stories of both Hindu priests and Buddhist priests saying, well, there's a Christian over here. See if he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then hearing the story, like like one of the stories this fellow was telling, that the, the demon, that this person was like violent coming at him, and he held up his Bible against this demon that was that was uh, infecting this person, if you like. And that was it. The demon left. Hmm. And all sorts of stories about people being... Uh, and people here are skeptical when they hear stories about casting out demons. Mm -hmm. And and they, they think just a mental illness or whatever. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Obviously, that does exist. Mm -hmm. But we would hear stories of somebody would be literally possessed of this demon for five years. You know, affecting their health, affecting their entire life. And once that demon is cast out, that was it. Mm. They were back to normal, having a normal life. So and the, the other thing that I think is more cultural is that so it's not unusual for somebody to have this demon cast up, people to see it, because this isn't done, this isn't hidden, and an entire village may, may come to Christ after that. Whereas in the West, wow. you know, that we're, we're kind of, we, we don't tend to be wired that way. Well, that my friend was has become a Christian. Right. You know, that mm -hmm. I'll just buy into that. It's uh, it doesn't seem to be like that way. Here. Do you think that's out of desperation? Well, it, it's interesting because um, certainly several of the stories were delete. So that's the untouchables in the Hindu caste. You'd think that they would, if they heard about Christianity, they'd be jumping on it mm -hmm. because it's so different for them. And yet the, the fact of the matter is, it's this last resort. They tried the Hindu priest first. They tried the boot. So it's, right. so there, it's, it's um, it, the desperation comes from the fact that the demon hasn't been cast out and they eventually come to a Christian. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just, I'm kind of with you. You'd think mm -hmm. that they would, as soon as they heard about Christianity, mm -hmm. equal, no, no cast. Mm -hmm. You'd think they'd be jumping on it, but no, it's mm -hmm. not like that. Because this is all they know. Mm -hmm. Hard for us to understand that, but... Mm -hmm. But when I talked to people there about the caste system, they were blown away that we didn't have some form of caste system in Canada. Now, obviously, we know we do. I mean, there, right. there are different things going on. But in there, it's because of your last name. If your last name means you're a delete, mm -hmm. then that's it for you. You won't get a good job. Wow. It's not like you might not get a good job. You will not get a good job. Yeah, very, very different uh, world. <clears throat> and, and as I say, I think I learned a lot more being there the second time because I think a lot of this maybe I just didn't get it the right. first time around. Mm -hmm. Whether I just couldn't accept it or whatever, I don't know. But I just felt that I learned a lot more this time. Do you feel that you would, um, does that, would you gravitate more to going back to Nepal because of that? Like, or? Well, I, I must admit, I mean, I definitely, I, I, I I feel for Nepal, and, and like from the very first trip, I, I've been trying to get back there, and, and it took a long time. Um, but, and it, it, it's a combination of things. It, it's what I saw in Nepal, but it's also the people that I saw in Nepal, and I knew that Vim would be there. Um, so it, so it's, um, it's hard to describe. He reminds me a little bit of a Buddha, 
just the, the look of his face. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen, like, I remember that from the first trip. We went to the orphan to one of the orphanages, and the way the kids went up to him and his face, it, I mean, his face lit up, but the kids' faces lit up. Mm -hmm. And um, just, just incredible. It's almost like they could see the spirit within him. Yeah, I mean, and, and as I say, I mean, what, what I don't know is whether these kids really appreciate it. I, I, it's hard to know. I mean, they, 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 no question they appreciate it, but, but the question is do they really realize that you know, I could be on the street were it not for, for these people mm -hmm. bringing me in off the street, feeding me, teaching me. And a lot of these these kids have done, have gone on to university. Like it's incredible, oh, wow. the stories that that because uh, in ten years, you know, most of the kids that we saw, they were they were gone. You know, mm -hmm. they, they were older. In in the orphanage right now, there's one fellow that I think usually once once you're eighteen, you, you kind of leave. And there are and there are I mean, there are government rules about about how some of this stuff works as well. Mm -hmm. But this one fellow, he did not want to leave. Mm. So they kind of kept him on as, as, a, as a helper. Right. But I think he's also going to school at the same time. Oh, okay. So, right. But it's just wonderful stories. Mm. So. What's the longest one you've gone on? The longest mission? Two weeks were the longest. Oh, two weeks. Been, yeah. Okay. So a full 14 days. Yeah. So that's... Well, another four days then. It was ten days this time. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was about ten days this time. Yeah. So, okay. so, do any do any missionaries go on sort of longer journeys than that? Like, would they go for a few months? Well, yeah. I mean, like, from, like yeah. I mean, for instance, at, at Good Friends of Paul, that they had somebody visit them for like for a month, mm -hmm. stayed with them for a month, and it's it's easier if it's, if it's an individual, because one of the things you have to be aware of. I mean, they don't have the resources, so if you say like. Let's get this group of a let's get a group out of the edge dozen people to go over. Mm -hmm. Well, they've got to then get you transported and everything else. It's not mm -hmm. it's not like here. Mm -hmm. Here we could just pick up a little bus and away you go. Yeah, mm -hmm. they don't have the, the money or the resources to do that. Right. So, I, I mean, like, like I've been in SUVs the first trip. I mean, I'm telling you, I don't know how many people we had. We, 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 we were well. Well, e even this one. I wonder if I have a picture. But the, one of the first that we went to their little church that they have there, and it's interesting. Their services are on Saturday because that's the only day that people don't work is Saturday in the fall. Oh. They, they work six days a week. So all all of a sudden we're picking up people, and, and and all of a sudden we had like four or five kids and a mother in the back, and all, and they started singing Jingle Bells. So <laughs> so I, if I recall, I, I took a picture, and it's all like. It's all fantastic. The problem with the phones now is we have way too many pictures. Mm -hmm. Take six of the same thing. Before my grandchildren were born, I would have like one picture. So this was an SUV. We were in. These were all these kids that were in the back. Mm. So I yeah. just, I mean, I, I, I guess I'd have to say I'd taken a selfie. Now I was going to say I'd never taken a selfie in my life, but I took a picture of these kids and they started singing Jingle Bells. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. What occasion was it that they would sing Jingle Bells? Well, we, I mean, like, first, they're, they're fascinated. I mean, it, it, on the one hand, it's Nepal, so yes, they have snow in the north and whatever. Right. But these kids probably never see that in Kathmandu. Right. So it's there, and they know, maybe because we're Canadian, maybe that's what they, but there's one. Yeah, they connect there's one, Santa two, Claus three, with four, Canadian. five, six. There's like eight probably. people. That's in the luggage compartment of, a, of a, an SUV behind the. Right. Behind the <laughs> 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 
Yeah, they probably sang that because they identify it with Canada. Well, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Well, when, or America. When we were in this remote village, the the first trip, I, like they, you know, they just to them Canada was ice and snow, which mm-hmm. I can't blame them. When I think of how little I knew about Nepal, mm-hmm. we're, we're walking to this remote village. It's in a rainforest. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a rainforest in Nepal. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, this shows we we don't know much about each other really. So. So the fellow in, in the middle there that is playing guitar, he's the worship leader, but also our driver at times as well. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's funny, one of the fellows said to him, I forget what brand of vehicle we were driving, and somebody said to him, you know, how do you like this vehicle compared to others? His response was, I don't know, I've never driven another vehicle but this one, so I oh, wouldn't know. <laughs> I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> Yeah, it's reality when you when you come from America, yeah. and you you really probably see how they do live and and uh, yeah yeah it's. But I'll tell you, we, we saw a lot of smiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't take uh, our culture to be happy. Oh no, yeah, not, right? not, not even close. A Western culture doesn't. I mean, I mean, I, I you can be very happy with with very little. Yeah, like I, yeah. I, I, I think it's almost detrimental having mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's a problem because um, mm-hmm. um, you just want more stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean I, I that's so true. I'd like to say I, I'm devoid of worrying about stuff, but I certainly am a lot more than when mm-hmm. I was younger. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there's you know when you see how they make use of finances in the mission field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody I know is guilty of, well, you didn't have to buy that. You could have just given that to them. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, right. It's so easy to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it doesn't make it, you know, it, it's a, I, I want to make it sound negative mm-hmm. because um, it's like with Christianity, every little bit you do is good. Mm-hmm. It helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you get some people to say, well, I'm not going to give a charity. It's just, you know, the needs are too much and it won't help. Um, mm-hmm. well, that's, no, that's not the right attitude. Mm-hmm. Just whatever you do, I mean, if you put a smile on any, any person's face, mm-hmm. you, you can see that, you know, doctors have performed surgeries on people and, and, and heal them. You can see that how wonderful that must be in their mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's physical, but you can do the same thing spiritual. Mm-hmm. What would you say, what would you say, did you pick up, was their coping mechanism? Like, they are living in harsher environments. Well, how would they get by day to day? Well, I mean, you know, most of the people that we're dealing with have accepted Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, they have to say that's the answer. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the programs the Good Friends of Nepal has, they um, bring, in, bring in women. Because again, if you're a widow or if you're a single woman, you have no means of support. So they bring in um, women that they have what's called a training center. And they learn to to use a, um, a sewing machine to make a variety of, of, of uh, clothes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the most important thing there, I mean, a, a sewing machine maybe cost $200. But if you trained these women and then sent them out on their own to get a, a sewing machine, mm-hmm. that would be the end of that. They would never be able to afford that $200. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. But they bring people in, and, and just so you know, I mean, they bring people in. They don't have to accept Christ to come in to be mm-hmm. trained. They they just bring them in, and but but at the end of the program, they also give them a sewing machine. Oh wow! So that's you know, we're, we're talking saving mm-hmm. their lives, you might mm-hmm. say. 
But it's incredible the stories of some of these people through the program, they accept Christ. Mm-hmm. And they go out to, I keep saying remote village, but a lot of the, if you're outside of Kathmandu, most of the things are kind of remote. Mm-hmm. But you'll get where, where a woman will set up a little shop. She now has a skill that people come to her for. Mm-hmm. And they end up starting a church. And, 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 you know, and I'm sure when they went into that program, they thought, well, I'll be able to learn a skill that I'll be able to mm-hmm. feed myself. Mm-hmm. And they end up, because they see... What can manifest see, from that. Yeah. Exactly. And they see that they're going in no strings attached. They just, yeah. They're just allowing me to go in and learn this skill, and I'm given... Mm-hmm. Like, for, for them, that's big time starting a business. It's a them. game changer. It's a, it's a game changer. It's yeah. a life changer. Yeah. Yeah. And that draws people in, right? Yeah. When they, yeah. something so simple as that. Well, and as I say, it, it's what helped me because when I started to hear missionaries coming to here to talk about it, mm-hmm. that's what got me excited about it because mm-hmm. then I heard what they were actually doing. Right. Because up until then, I just heard, yeah, there were these people called missionaries. I'm mm-hmm. not sure yeah. what they do, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was actually interesting when you mentioned uh, some people converted because of seeing some people heal, yeah. like when they were excised, the, the demon was yeah. excised. Yeah. Do you think some? Do you think those people who were converted might even have stronger faith than people who won't see those type of stuff? It's hard to say because uh, all the people I meet in Nepal seem to have a very strong faith. Um, as I say, that they, the way they worship, it's just, you just see it. it this is their entire lives. Mm-hmm. It's the way we want to have it here, that it's not just a Sunday morning for an hour. It's it's your, it's right. seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but I really do see that there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely their whole lives. It's, yeah, and it's their, it's their way of coping, too. Yeah. Right? It's their way of, yeah. well, maybe coping is the wrong word. Well, well, I, I think also when you, generally when you're coming to, to Christ, wherever it is in the world as an adult, mm-hmm. you tend to see more excitement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was involved in the Alpha program here for quite a few years. We, we ran the program for years. And I would be kind of jealous seeing an adult come to Christ because they are so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And there was this one particular fellow, we had a lot of discussions, and I would tell him how I was kind of jealous to see him mm-hmm. so excited. And because I mean, he knew he knew the moment when he accepted Christ. And, he, he, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and in my case, I kind of grew up, and I, I've just always believed. So mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't have that moment. Mm-hmm. But he was jealous of me because he said, "Yeah, but you've had this in mm-hmm. your life all this time. I'm just getting it." He yeah, said. Right. He said, "Like so." It was funny how we were jealous <laughs> of each other for completely <laughs> different reasons. But, yeah, that's yeah. funny. Could you tell us about some books, podcasts? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Well, funny you say that because the only podcast I ever listened to is the one by this Edge Ministry. And uh, I, 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 I've been enjoying that one. The, 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 the book that I'm reading at the moment is not my typical genre, but it, it's a book called A Man Called Ove, written by a fellow called Frederick Rickman or something like that. And it was written in Swedish originally, translated to English. Apparently it was translated by somebody in the UK because they refer to things like the boot on the vehicle. But it's a fascinating book. It's, uh, and I'm reading it because a good friend of mine that actually used to attend Markham Baptist before he moved to Peterborough, mm. 
recommended it, said it was something that I wouldn't be able to put down, and uh, he's absolutely right. So that, it's a book that I would recommend. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the from a spiritual point of view, uh, we have a weekly small group in my, in my house, and my, my good friend George puts together a sort of a, the material that we need to uh, to prepare for each week, and at the moment we're studying the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that, that, that's where I get my spiritual reading that uh, unfortunately is not available to the public, Right. But uh, but that's where I, where I prepare there, and uh, because I when I'm <clears throat> talking about the Bible or Jesus or the Word, I have to have that discussion as part of that as well. So uh, with a small group, uh, it gives me the opportunity to uh, to have that discussion about things as well. And could you talk about uh, coldest night? Absolutely. Uh, Coldest Night of the Year is a, is a wonderful uh, fundraising effort that started, uh, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 10 years ago, more. And it's now, it's swept, it's, it's, it's coast to coast now in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, it raises money. But we, Mark and Baptist got involved quite a few years ago. Um, and uh, we, we walk in support of Young Street Mission. And uh, it, it's quite fascinating because I reach out to friends and family across this country and, uh, and get tremendous support from people. Um, and Young Street Mission has a wonderful reputation. Yes, it's a Christian organization, but a lot of non-Christian people are, are very thankful for the work that they do in helping people that, that are in need in Toronto. So we're walking, is it, I think it's February the 22nd? And uh, we're, we're actually walking in Markham, but in support of Young Street Mission in, in, um, in Toronto. And it's, uh, you know, there, I, I've been talking earlier about the people in need in third world countries, but in Toronto there, there's lots of people that are in need as well, that are, that are, that are homeless, that uh, don't have enough food. And, and when you think in, from our Canadian terms of, of uh, children of all ages in Toronto that are, that are mm-hmm. in need, it's something that uh, people certainly do support. To an everyday person who cannot cannot see themselves going on these type of mission trips, what do you think is something you can tell them that they can do locally? Yeah, I, I mean that there's so many that the, the mission committee at our church that, that they they basically look at supporting people in the local community mm-hmm. throughout the country and, and internationally. So to me, they're all equally valued. Um, you know, basically, God wants us to help all of those that we're able to help. And uh, so basically, in the local community, whether it be the food bank, um, certainly you can talk to people and, and see if they have any recommendations about something they can do as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who do not know what Young Street Mission is, could you explain it? Well, I, I wish I knew more about what they do. That they, they, they have all sorts of programs that they do. They provide clothing and, and food for people. Mm-hmm. They have all sorts of programs where they teach skills to people, but where they have uh, programs for children so that after school they can get they can get additional additional support. Um, they have that they provide um, meals for people that are on the street. Mm. Um, that they have they have it's a it's a huge organization. I, I wish I knew more about it, but but everything I know about it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a long time, and uh, and it, it's curious that I'll bump into people and learn about information they know about Young Street Mission and it's all been positive. Right. On that note, would you mind closing us in prayer? I'd be happy to. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to to discuss with with people here the mission field. Lord, it's something that, uh, that you draw many of us to 
and as we've discussed, the, the, it's one thing to go into the mission field, but it's equally important to pray for those in the mission field, to pray for, pray for various missions around the world and in Canada and locally here at Markham. And also to, to provide financing because a, a dollar from a Canadian will go a long way in a third world country. Lord, we pray that you, that you guide anyone who is considering going on a mission trip or being involved in any aspect. And we pray that you, you spread the, the good news about the various mission organizations. Markham Baptist Church is involved with many organizations, but we, we deal with, with uh, Christian Baptist missions, and we also deal with Partners International. For these many groups are happy to obtain support from any area, and we pray that you will bless all of their endeavors, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. If you would like to leave a comment, you would like to leave a question or a prayer request, please do so on any social media that this podcast is on. For the listeners, you can subscribe either through iTunes or Spotify. And all of the books that Kevin was referring to, you can check it out in the show notes. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Kevin. Uh, we'd like to thank you, uh, Kevin Duran, tonight for all that you do, first of all, and for your thoughts and insight with regard to the purpose of a mission trip. And we'd like to thank you, the listener, also for joining us. Uh, please tune in again next week uh, to Over the Edge for another uh, evening of insightful conversation. 